Well, here are the five things you need to know this afternoon. There you go. My mum would have been furious at me for that bad English. Okay, that story about the rail line, it is number one in the five at five. So the delays of up to 30 minutes are on the airport, Caboolture, Doombin and Ipswich line. All other lines are about 15 minutes late. So the situation is Scott Rydell, the head of Queensland Rail in the southeast, he told us all about it. So the situation is they will get back to normal fairly soon. So, you know, you might end up at 5.30 catching the 4.30. So you'll be okay. It's just that for that period of time, there were delays. So make sure you have your wits about you this afternoon, as I said. Number two, the Reserve Bank of Australia has raised interest rates for the 10th consecutive meeting. The previous record was three rises in a row. We're up to 10.25 up to 3.6 now. 10 months ago, the rate was 0.1. It is now 3.6. Incredible stuff. Now, there's some very interesting language in the RBA statement. After the rates went up 0.25% in February, Philip Lowe, the RBA governor, wrote this. The board expects that further increases in interest rates will be needed over the months ahead to ensure that inflation returns to target and that this period of high inflation is only temporary. But today he changed his language. He said the board expects that further tightening of monetary policy will be needed to ensure inflation returns to target and that this period of high inflation is only temporary. So he's taken out further increases in interest rates. Now, what can he do with monetary policy? There's not much else he can do. But the bank is shying away from writing down they want to rise interest rates again because they're copying such bad publicity. Most analysts are taking that as maybe one more rise, but a pause in April. They're thinking they're getting tapped out on it. The bank has written all sorts of things today about there's a lag effect in these rate rises for the effect to come in the economy, accepting that households are doing it tough. I can tell you that... Unions are howling mad about it. The CFMEU normally doesn't say much about interest rate rises. They've just put out this blistering statement ripping into the RBA, saying the blue-collar workers are just getting hammered here. And how can they provide for their families when they're just getting totally poleaxed? Because it's not that mortgage holders, it's also renters because it's being passed on to renters and all the housing groups in Australia are howling mad too. Now, Jim Leavers Chalmers, who used to talk before he got elected about all these levers you could pull to fix the economy, has worked out that you actually can't pull any levers and that all the textbooks he read at the University of Queensland are useless when it comes to real life. Here he is in the chamber today. The Reserve Bank takes its decisions independently and that independence is an important feature of our system. The government's job is to take responsibility for those things that we have an influence over. Australians understand that a lot of this inflation is coming at us from around the world and they understand that broken supply chains here in Australia have been part of the problem as well. And so we take responsibility for working through this inflation issue in a responsible and a methodical way to address inflation in the ways that we can. And our three-point strategy is all about, as we've said before, cost of living relief, repair of supply chains and restraint in the budget. Now, as the Reserve Bank Governor's statement says today and makes clear, we do expect that inflation has peaked, but it will be higher than we'd like for longer than we'd like. That's why our cost of living relief is targeted and responsible, so that we make life a little bit easier for people but don't add to inflation. 
making early childhood education cheaper, making medicines cheaper, building more affordable housing, providing help with energy bills and getting wages moving again. So of all those things, can I just ask a question? And I understand everything he said there. Where's he building the affordable housing? Like, like where? Can, can anyone name one project anywhere in Australia? I'll scrounge up two more Broncos tickets. Can anyone name one project anywhere in Australia where the federal government is building more affordable housing? Because I just don't think it's happening. Like, there's not much housing being built. And, and so when a, so if a young couple is going to buy a house and land package, is, is the federal government making that more affordable? Where are they building that? No, they're not. They're saying you're on your own. Like, it's, it's utter, utter garbage. There is no more affordable. Like, the, the rents in Brisbane, like I gave you that story earlier, we're less affordable here than they are in Melbourne. You can't find a rental for less than $400 a week in Brisbane. Like, you just can't. People are spending half their wage on rent. You mentioned just standing up going, oh, building more affordable. Where? Just someone tell me where, please. An interim report was handed down today into the SteaWorld helicopters disaster from January 2. Four people died, six received serious injuries, three others suffered minor injuries in the crash. Look, this this report that was done today by the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, Angus Mitchell, headed up the report. I'll play you his... Look, I'll play you his audio now, then I will give you some observations. But I can tell you this report was very conservative. It basically outlined what happened. But there were multiple failures going on here. People are too afraid to say it. But there were multiple failures happened that day. There was human error, it looks like. There was also, it looks like a communications error where the pilot above clearly said that he was coming in, but the pilot below, no one heard him say he was coming up. Was his stuff broken or did he just not say it? it? was a lapse in concentration. A transponder on the helicopter above wasn't working properly and the company knew it, but it didn't have to be working properly because it was uncontrolled space. It only has to be working properly in controlled space. So why it was uncontrolled space, I don't know because there's choppers everywhere. And they go, I wasn't that busy that day. There was only four choppers in the area. Only four choppers doing five-minute joyrides, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And they also had uh, systems in the choppers that could have alerted each other that they were getting close to each other, but they weren't activated. But they didn't have to be in that airspace. I think there were multiple failures here. Here's Angus Mitchell. The helicopters were operating from two separate helipad facilities about 220 metres apart. The five-minute scenic flights were to follow the same counterclockwise orbit with the inbound helicopter on approach to land at the heliport to the south and the outbound helicopter departing the pad to the north. The two helicopters collided at an altitude of about 130 feet. The helicopters were operating in a non-controlled airspace where pilots use a common traffic advisory frequency, or CTAF, to make radio calls to announce their positions and intentions and, where necessary, to arrange separation from other aircraft. The report details the radio calls made by the pilot of the returning helicopter and, as they tracked south over the board water, 
that they saw passengers boarding the second helicopter as it was preparing to depart. The pilot of the returning helicopter recalled that their assessment was that the departing helicopter would pass behind them and that they did not recall the pilot of that helicopter making a standard taxing call, thereby announcing their intentions to depart. Now, this does not necessarily mean that a taxing call was not made. The report also details that the pilot of the arriving helicopter did not see the other helicopter actually depart the helipad. Now, because of the transponder problem, the aircraft was not able to be used in a controlled airspace going forward, right? And this was uncontrolled, so like I'm telling you. The transponder on the helicopter taking off was working. The one on the one coming down wasn't working. Now, what's a transponder? It's an electronic device that produces a response when it receives a radio frequency interrogation. Aircraft have transponders to assist in identifying them on air traffic control radar. Collision avoidance systems have been developed to use transponder transmissions as a means of detecting aircraft at risk of colliding with each other. So that's in the report. I won't pass any judgment. I'm not an aviation expert. But as I said, this report was very conservative. It didn't want to go into we think this, we think that. It was just a list of facts. And I think in the investigation, which won't be completed until late next year, I think they'll go into why. Okay, I mentioned this at the start of the show. Sky News is reporting that former Prime Minister Scott Morrison could quit federal politics by the end of the year. He's currently on the backbench. He's been pretty quiet since he lost the election last year, apart from throwing pot shots at the Albanese government recently over our relations with China. Sky News' Andrew Clonell says he's been hearing ScoMo could be headed overseas to take up a consulting job. That would result in a by-election for his federal seat of Cook in Sydney South. And as I said earlier... Do we need by-elections anymore? Can't we have a referendum question saying in the case of a member uh, being deceased during a term of parliament or a member resigning or whatever, can't we just replace them with another Liberal, as in the case of Scoma? We do that in the Senate. We do it in the Senate. Why can't we do the same thing? Why? Because a former Prime Minister gets rolled and eventually wants to quit 18 months ahead of another federal election. Why do we have to pay the money for there to be a by-election? I don't get it. I think it's antiquated. Okay, here's a question for you. Did you know Brisbane has its own floral emblem to represent our Sydney? This is Brisbane. The current emblem was chosen in 1930 after the first Brisbane City Council was formed. It's a red poncietta, poncetia, sorry, which is native to Mexico. So it's not even native to here. Today, the council announced the search will be launched for our next floral emblem to sit alongside it. He wants residents to have their say, the Lord Mayor, Adrian Schrinner. He wants it to be a native flower that reflects the Brisbane lifestyle. Well, from when I was a kid, it should be one of those little white fluffy things that were in all our backyards that the bees would be in and you'd get a bee sting. Or it should be a bindi. A bindi. I know modern yards don't have bindies and bees and things, but if you're a child of the 70s in Brisbane, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so it's going to be on our coat of arms, the council logo, the flag and official symbols. But I don't even know, do we have a flower of Brisbane? Is there a unique Brisbane flower? What are those little white fluffy things that used to grow in your backyard that the bees would be in and you'd stand on? Everyone knows what I'm talking about. I'm not stark raving mad. 